What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And in this episode, I continue my conversation with my friend, the Reverend Dr. Isaiah Young. And just as a refresher, from the first part of our conversation, we discussed his multicultural, multiracial identity and how that played a role in 2020. We also looked at the intersectionality of religion and race, and we discussed overcoming systemic oppression and white supremacy. You know, all those super easy topics to dive into. And if you didn't catch the first episode, I highly encourage you to catch that first one. You won't be lost in the second part, but it really, really helps to kind of give context and breadth to what we're talking about. In the second half of our conversation, we get much more hopeful. We continue discussing all the things I mentioned earlier, but we get into why it is important and necessary not to fall prey to the systems that try and pin us against each other. We talk about what truly disrupts and dismantles these systems, ideologies, and beliefs is acknowledging that we are all in this together. This is another good one, y'all. I hope you enjoy it. All right, here's Isaiah. Like, why does it take, and I'm asking you this, and, and, and maybe you have some other, I have my own ideas, but why does it take the loss of innocent life for people to be willing to engage in the ending of like oppression for marginalized groups? Yeah, um, unfortunately, it seems like that's, that's the pattern. You know, that it, that we only will talk about something when um, we have to, when we're forced to, you know. And I notice that pattern at the personal level, um, you know, think about people who are, are trying to talk about how they need to change their diet or change their health. How oftentimes people will talk and talk and talk and talk about that. But as soon as uh, something bad actually happens physically, people will actually be open to learning and to actually figuring it out. And so... I think what you saw last summer was a huge disruption to the system. I mean, this thing was filmed right on video and, um, and you're right in saying that it was an execution. It was a public execution done by the state and it's nothing new, but for some people, that's the feeling they had. Like, how is this happening? You know, this is so new. And so it's that kind of, um, privilege that shields people from recognizing the fact that it is that bad. Right. And we all want to act like it's not, um, you know, the powers want us to think that it's not, they want us to be asleep, to distract, you know, with, with other kinds of conversations and issues and to not take a look at what's actually happening. And so I think that, um, you know, for those of us that are navigating these systems, we, we have to be intentional and conscious about that pursuit to know what's going on, you know, to know how folks are doing. We can't assume that, that we're, that we'll just find out or that, that, um, you know, we're going to be told when things should change or when they need to change. And so I guess my point to that is simply saying that um, we know that that the pursuit of justice and liberation is possible. There's been people within the human family that now and historically have, have shown that, but it isn't without intentionality and it isn't without, in many ways, moving against the grain. And so um, that's not going to be something that's encouraged by society. It's not something that's going to be always modeled or the stories that are being told. So we continue to have to fight and work for that if that's something that we um, want to be about. And, and I encourage everyone to be about it and to be part of that. Um, because to your point, when we don't, we dehumanize ourselves, um, our souls, you know, our well-being. Um, we, we, we experience superiority. We experience a sense of separateness and cutoffness. And if you look at even some of the most, you know, well-off people in the world, they're some of the most lonely. 
They're some of the most confused mm. or some of the most uh, anxious about possessions and, organ- and, and, and their business. And so what I'm trying to say is, is I'm not demonizing wealth, but what I'm saying is, is like, if we try to think that, you know, this system that's created has the answer for us, um, that we can put our hope in it. Like we're, we're going to be, um, not only disappointed, but we're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I'm at a loss of like what to communicate to folks as to like the urgency and necessity for us to address just these false concepts and these false ideas of what of other people like I'm, I'm just like at a loss like I don't know what to continue I don't know what to communicate anymore like I feel like it's such an elementary thing that like I don't know how elementary to make it to folks yeah no I mean it's uh it's definitely real and um I think part of the journey of maturing in our human experience is grappling with these intense energies I'll call them um, of recognizing the state of things. What I spend a lot of time encouraging folks in is spiritual practices and ways in which spirituality helps people to see and identify with the experiences of other human beings and the experiences of all of life. Um, one of the gifts of spiritual traditions, uh, and, and different spiritual traditions talk about it differently, but is that they invite people to wake up to the reality that our life and the other person across the street and the other person across the world and other than human lives are all not only connected, but intertwined, interwoven. Mm-mm. Like there's literally like no possibility of my experience without your experience. Mm. Like that's super um, transformative if somebody embraces that reality and allows the awareness of that reality to affect their behaviors because we're constantly conditioned and told that we're an individual separate unit, right? Now, all of us have our own unique experiences in this mystery. Like your experience is not mine. My experience is not my spouse's. My experience is not my uh, my children, my experience is not my parents, my experience is not my neighbors, and yet each of us could not be without one another. The, the, the possibility mm. of life is all one um, together. And so it's very mysterious in that way, but, but I think that's what I think spirituality can offer us is these moments to know that for ourselves. Because it's one thing to hear about that, and it sounds kind of like, whoa, what is he saying? But then it's another thing to know that experience for yourself. And so what I like to encourage folks in on this path, because to your point, you know, and I think this is a real question, is sustained justice work possible without personal connection? Is Hmm. sustained justice work possible without a personal connection? It seems to me in my experience that without a personal connection, people will always find a reason to do something else, something that feels personal, mm. something that feels like it impacts yeah. them until they come to a consciousness and awareness that what happens to the black community, what happens to the brown community, the indigenous community, what happens outside of the United States, what happens in other planets and worlds, all impacts my life and I and my well-being is tied to that. It's woven together. Uh, then I'll then I'll just keep it out of sight and out of mind as long as I can. And so that's where I think deep at the end of the day, we do need policy changes. We do need, you know, laws to be enacted. We need different leaders. We need um, changes in so many institutions. And yet at the end of the day, it's not sustainable 
unless we wake up to the fact that all of us are truly um, interwoven together. And if we let that sit for a little bit, it really does change everything with how we live our lives, spend our money, you know, choose to create and to imagine and to dream. Because then we're asked, you know, is what I'm dreaming truly benefiting, you know, this being, this life, you know, this aspect of, of the world. And so um, I, I often think that, that you know, w- when we talk about oppression, at least the way I think about it, it can sound like it can, it can send us into despair. But what I really try to do, at least my perspective is, oppression is simply naming the obstacles that are betraying the truth. The truth being, the truth being that we are all interwoven and intertwined. That's fact. Like we can't change that. That is what it is. Oppression is all the illusions and lies that are told and acted upon that is is different than that reality. And so we have to talk about it because we can't talk about how we're all interwoven and interconnected unless we first recognize the ways we're not living up to that. We're not living into that truth, that reality. And so that's why um, if we're struggling towards justice, if we're naming the truth and we're attempting to live in a different way, I think that's what liberation work and life is all about. It's not about achieving or arriving because the truth is already true. It's about living more mm-hmm. in alignment with that truth that I think we're all we're all attempting to do. So how do we get to that point then? Mm-hmm. Um, because like I think I'm trying to think of my journey of arriving to the point of, of the things that I do matter to my neighbor and my neighbor's neighbor and my neighbor's neighbor's neighbor, like the ripple effect of the of the things that I do. And, and, and it's taken a while. But I, there was also a starting point of like, even the way that my mom like raised us of like, you love people, like you care for people. Um, and people matter, like th- that's the matter, like we were raised to care about other human beings and like treat them as such. How do we get to a point of that? You know, what I'm saying like, it was instilled in me from from jump, like, how do we how do we build that muscle, I guess, of empathy? Yeah, you know, well, I think, like I said, a couple things, one thing I already said was our, our spiritual practices. And what I mean by spiritual practice, I'm not talking about joining an official religion, necessarily. I'm talking about any act that a person takes, that invites them to see the deeper reality, by which we're all participating in. That could literally mm-hmm. be, you know, art, that could be making coffee, that could be you know, um, building and creating something like it doesn't matter, but whatever you do, when you do it with your whole heart, does it take you to a deeper awareness that we're all in this life together, that life is a gift, that life, um, is, we can't take it for granted and that we're all beneficiaries of something that is not our own. It's not ours, um, to, to hoard, to dominate or to control because oppression only is perpetuated by the belief that we can control, that we can dominate, that we, that this is up to us um, to maintain. And so any spiritual practice that helps to get you out of that mindset and out of that place, the connectedness, the openness, the creativity, that's what I mean by spiritual practice. I think that's a huge thing. To your point about your, mm. your mom, who I would use in Christian language and say that she's a saint in the way that she represents and embodies an awareness of what it means to be human that's at a deeper reality um, than, than you know, when you were a kid, than w- where you were. And so her teaching you to show hospitality to strangers was modeling for you uh, a possibility of how to be alive that really uh, 
demonstrates, you know, your own maturity as a human being, but also demonstrates um, what's possible. And so my point of saying all that is, if you feel like you desire to go down that path, it's to find examples. And you can find them if you're looking for them. You might not always know them interpersonally, or you might not always have a personal relationship, but with the you know internet and other kinds of ways, readings, writings, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to read um, the writings of people who have gone before me, you know, people in the civil rights, people who've involved in justice work outside of my time. For me, um, whenever I am tempted to lose hope, I can go back and read what they went through and recognize that joy, peace, justice, even amidst unfinished business is possible um, because of how they arrived and, and, and they invite me to think of, to, to, to follow into that. And so I would say as a human family, we have examples, people who have gone before us um, that I encourage folks to, to find and to, and to treasure. Because um, if we just look around at you know, who's in power, who the CEO is, we're going to be wildly disappointed and we're going to think that nothing else is possible. Mm, that's good. That's good. For what you just said um, brought up something else for me because I, I think even the language that you use as far as like domination, power, lording over, those kinds of things, but these ideas of like connectedness, empathy, listening, stillness, these things – typically lean more more feminine and then the domination power all those things typically lean more masculine and are reinforced within media and society how do we because i i've been trying to i, I struggle with this sometimes when i'm communicating this with like in particular men because i'm just like these are necessary and things that we do like it is like essentially like it is okay to cry it is okay to feel your feelings it is okay to like be there because like we are human and it's part of the human experience um, in its totality, right? What would you What would you say to that? You know what I'm saying? Like, what would you say to that? Because I, I feel like the same things that we're trying to combat are the same things that are reinforced yeah. as far as like these gender identities and gender roles. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's how, that's how structural oppression works is that it, you know, mm. it stereotypes certain qualities to certain groups. So men think, men, uh, you know, uh, are self-sufficient and you know don't like to talk and solve problems and and all that stuff is bullshit because in reality we can't genderize the human experience like you know mm -hmm. those who identify as women those who identify as men those who identify in other uh, with other gender identities the, the, the complexity of the human experience is available to all of us it's not based on gender at all and so Part of what we're talking about is we need to overcome the ways that society tries to reinforce, you know, this group does this, this group does that, you know, um, this, this uh, culture, racial group acts like this or acts like that. All that stuff perpetuates the supremacy. And so I think that's important to name. But secondly, to your point, um, this work is against the grain. This work is for folks and, I, and it, it, again, going back to those who have gone before us, they tell us it comes with a cost. You know, it comes with a, with a price. You pay a price to live your humanity. And, um, and so, and, and it's not guaranteed or promised that everybody else is going to give you, you know, two thumbs up and a high five on your way out. In fact, I would argue that more people than not who have lived in this kind of way will tell you that there's going to be trouble ahead. However, that trouble... It is no um, match for the joy and the depth of love that you will experience in your life because you're living in truth, you're living in uh, equality, you're living in uh, reciprocity with others, and there's a freedom in that. And so 
even though, you know, one of my favorite lines that says, um, you know, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were just seeds. And why mm. I love that, why I love that line is because at the end of the day, even if we are treated a certain way for standing up for what's right, that example will live far beyond any 70, 80, or 90 years that we're on we're alive on this plane. That is the story that will continue to give hope and life to generations far beyond us. Now, I'm not telling people that that they should go out and you know um, sacrifice everything all the time. There, there's there's stages, there's levels, and also there's different costs depending on you know your social location, your positionality, and all those things, which we don't have time to talk about in this podcast. But what I'm trying to get at is, at the end of the day, we have to believe and trust, if you will, that love is worth it. That if mm. I if I choose to just you know try to hide from these things or run away from these things, um, thinking that if I don't think about it, it'll go away or it'll solve itself, we lose our own humanity in that process. But we don't have to. We have a choice to live and to to create and to laugh and to share and to imagine a different way. We all have that choice to do. And so I just encourage people, you know, you're not alone in that if your heart's longing for that, to find folks in community. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to be cared for and to care for others and to find and cultivate those spaces within our communities. Wherever you find yourself, you could begin there um, and, and not wait for, you know, those in power or someone else to, to start um, because that's not guaranteed. But that doesn't take away our ability to begin with our own lives. And that that's what I feel like. Um, that's There's great hope in that for me there there absolutely is i think i think that's where i've gotten to a place of of, of really not caring uh in regards to like these gender roles that try to be placed on even me as a black man like even within my own community i'm going to be upfront i'm going to cry i'm going to be honest about like how i'm feeling i'm going to be uh, connected to that because that uh, in, in reality that you said it like that is fighting oppression like yeah. the the very existence i heard one time that the your joy, um, black joy, my joy is like is in and of itself like an act of defiance. You know what I'm mm, saying? And so I think loving one another, caring for one another deeply, regardless of anything, like that in and of itself is like fighting oppressive systems. Yep. And so I, I mean, I feel like that's what you're you were, if you didn't say it, <laughs> that's what I, that's what I took away from what you were saying. No, that's beautiful. And I would say too, uh, just because you're talking about you being a black man and how how you're socialized into what what that's supposed to mean, you know, being part of the Asian American community, it's not really said very often, but there's so much, um, especially in my background for when my father came to the United States uh, with his parents in 1977, um, which is right after the Immigration Act of 1965 which was a uh, part of what black civil rights leaders advocated for in justice in the United States. So when I think about my own family's journey and what's possible, I have to give thanks and credit to black folks in the United States who were willing to feel their emotions, to lead, to live a different way, and to act even when none of it was possible in the time. They, they already acted as if it was. And that very ability to do that allowed for my life to take place the way it did. And so, I mean, we're all in this together. That's my point. And so even when people, uh, you know, um, when, when people think that there's not much we can do or they don't see that change, you never know the impacts of what you're having, you know, and how that's going to affect future, uh, a future time. 
And so, um, mm. so, so I, I, I am incredibly grateful for the folks in the United States who were willing to courageously stand against oppression of every form and kind. And of course, they didn't finish the work. We all have our job to do in our times of, of being alive. And I hope that we can do the same. I hope that, you know, uh, 50 years from now, people can look back on what we did and say, I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for the way they lived and how they lived, even though it was super hard. And, I'm, and, and I wish no one had to go through that. I'm glad they did because look at what, what happened for us. That's good. That's really beautiful. You saying that reminds me of like, there's just so much overlap as far as like, as far as like the, not plights necessarily, but acts of defiance, the mm-hmm. um, civil rights activists, the 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 people that came be- even before me and you that were fighting alongside each other. And, and I'm thinking, I, I watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah mm-hmm. um, and it was actually kind of convicting. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, but um, his... What he did to like galvanize like different people groups together, the Rainbow Coalition together in fighting these systems of oppression, and, and I'm just thinking about that rainbow. How he used, how it didn't matter. Like we were fighting a system, we were fighting these these things, we were fighting um, these authorities that did not care about our very existence. That that only that only put their attention and their desire and they gave themselves to greed and power and authority mm. and wielded it over that and even in some in a lot of cases use racism institutions of white supremacy mm. to like pit everybody against each other mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. and and that's why i think what has been i'm at a loss for words here but like except like the word is like heartbreaking but like i don't it sucks that we can't see that like it does it sucks that like when i see other people and the violence that is being committed to the AAPI community at such just insane rates is that it's not just white folks attacking them. Yeah. It's not ignorant white people. It is black people. It's Hispanic people. It's Latino people. It's it, that are attacking Asian Americans from this place of ignorance and not realizing that there that there are strings that are in the air that are w- wilderness and desiring all of these folks to just fight and battle and, and scapegoat um, yeah. this community um, well, for yeah. the incompetencies of, of the president's yeah, and I was going to say, too, I mean, I think it happens so easily because the part of the, the lie or temptation of oppression is, is that because you know oppression so well, if you're not conscious and you're not with that awareness, people can easily be like, well, at least the, the oppression is not happening to me, and then falling into mm. oppressing somebody else. And that's, a, that's, mm. a, that's one of the things that we're all prone to self-deception. We're all prone to um, not living our, our, our highest good. Every day we wake up till the day we die, each of us will have to choose if we're going to say yes to our highest way of being or if we're going to succumb. And we'll, we'll continue to struggle through that as human beings. It's part of our experience. But we do have a choice every single day to wake up and how we're going to live that day. Um, so I, I want to encourage, you know, again, when he said it, it, it is heartbreaking to see what's taking place, it also doesn't have to be that way. And part of what we're doing on this podcast and what we do with other projects is to tell the different kinds of stories. Because if those stories yeah, aren't yeah. told, nobody else can can imagine something else. So I think I think that's so important when it comes down to this resistance. And the only last thing I want to offer in 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 this idea of you know this dis- not getting lost in the sea of despair in this work is to recognize that to live without to live um, free from fear in the face of oppression is the epitome of a liberated life. Yes, that's it. And so 
we're going to feel the experiences because we're human of being afraid, you know, how we choose to respond to that and continue to show up and move forwards anyways shows that ultimately oppression doesn't have the final say power dynamics doesn't have the final say death doesn't even have the final say because even in the face of death, we can walk head held high backs up straight, singing, dancing, arm in arm, knowing what's true. And for me, that kind of invitation, um, if we're in an office setting, if we're on our teams, to tell the truth, to live the truth, um, to, to, to not, not live um, under the tyranny of fear, um, I think is what we're all moving towards and what I think we have power to be able to do um, as we cultivate that together, as we encourage each other in that way. Mm. Um, what is, and I think you've touched on it multiple times here, but I'm just going to ask you sp- explicitly, what does true solidarity look like in the fight for equity and justice? I don't know that I can speak for true solidarity definitively. I think my currently my understanding <laughs> or, or perspective of, of, of what solidarity is all about is it's um, allowing ourselves to be engaged in the struggles of others, particularly the others that um, were not socialized to being a part of that group. So um, hmm. when we think about sol- solidarity in this time and what it takes is it requires us to get beyond what seems to be a personal concern. And I say seems to be in quotes because, um, like I said, the truth is that we all are all part of the same life, but but we aren't socialized to see that. And so I think solidarity requires us to move beyond how we're socialized, to stretch, and to find um, connectedness and to find care and to find compassion um, to engage in the lives and the struggles of others. And um, there's no playbook for that. There's no solidarity is one, two, three. Because if you're truly in a, let's let's call it a loving relationship, a friendship with someone, um, then, then it's a dynamic, creative process. You never know what that relationship is going to require. And, and I guess I would, and I don't know that we want to talk about it here. I know that we're thinking about it on time, but when I think about our time working together at a predominantly white institution, and um, what went down in terms of uh, some racism that we experienced. And I ended up writing a letter to the administration um, at the university on some of the situation. I don't think I would have written that letter. Actually, I know I would have written that letter if it wasn't for our friendship, as well as a friendship Mm -hmm. I had with another colleague who was African-American at the school, um, to to take that stand and take that step. uh, Because it was what I saw was happening to you as well as that, uh, that other colleague that I recognized. I, I knew it was bad, but I saw the emotional and psychological toll it was taking. And I recognized that to not do something very explicitly vocal about this, um, it, it, for me, I couldn't, I couldn't, to be a friend, didn't feel like I could just, I could do anything else. And so to me, that's just one way in which, like I say, solidarity doesn't mean, you know, to be in solidarity means you do ABC. It means you truly care and you're willing to show up and, and, and ask yourself, what does that require of me? You know, what's this relationship mm. to be in connection asking of me? Am I willing to be open to that? And if I am, then I'll let that process transform me. I think that's a beautiful picture of, of, of what solidarity looks like. It, it, it really is like, what, what are you willing to like step into and how are you willing to change for the sake of the other? And I think, and we've talked about it before, like we can't fall prey to the belief that, you know, this fight against oppression, this fight against, you know, white supremacy um, is a place that you arrive at. Like this is an ongoing place and, and we're going into a direction 
simply by hope and faith alone. Like we, like, and not knowing the impact and effects that we're gonna we're gonna have, just knowing that we're gonna do it, hopefully do it together. Uh, all right, Z, well, thank you so much. I feel like that's a good spot to like leave it. Damn it, I just really appreciate you coming on, um, sharing your thoughts. Um, I know some of this is heavy and, and, and weighty um, on you, so I appreciate you being willing to share. No, hey, I appreciate the love and the invitation to come on uh, your podcast. Uh, I love the work you've been up to and you're doing, and I'm just excited to see where it continues to go. So uh, really, it's uh, it's, it's my uh, treasure of mine to be able to share the, the platform with you, and um, thank you. One of the biggest lies that white supremacy continues to push is that race unequivocally separates us from one another. That because of whatever racial identity we have, that there is this great chasm of difference in our humanness and our dignity. That because I am black, that there is no way for me to feel the same happiness, pride, anger, sadness, joy, or any wide range of emotion as a white person thus devaluing and dehumanizing me or anyone else that isn't white. It's ridiculous, right? Like you're probably listening to this and you're like, this is, I, I don't believe that, that's not true. But that's the lie. And while our experiences may not be the same, the truth is our humanity is what ultimately binds us together. The through line for all of us, despite our different experiences is all of us are human. And I want to be very clear, because I know that some people are going to be like, oh, you know, colorblindness, you know, mainly white people, but I'm just going to, you know, call it out. I believe that colorblindness is not helpful. Um, it is a trick and a trap of white supremacy. What I am promoting here is for all of us to see, recognize, and acknowledge the humanity of our neighbors, to accept them and love them regardless of race, but also ethnicity, religion, culture, nationality, gender, sex, damn, political affiliation, and any other identity that they may have. White supremacy, systemic racism, and systemic oppression work and thrive in American society because so many people, including myself, fall into the trap of believing the hierarchical categorization of human dignity based on race. That our race separates and disconnects us from one another that there's no way that we could have any common ground to communicate, to work together, to strive together. However, true liberation and the dismantling of these systems, beliefs, and ideologies come when we believe the truth. And the truth being, as Isaiah so eloquently shared, is that we are all interwoven and intertwined together. And that is the belief that drove and gave our forefathers in the civil rights movement hope that there is so much more when we strive for it together. Mm. Well, that is all for this week's show, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. I would love to hear your thoughts and takeaways from the past couple of episodes. So hit me up on IG, um, send me a DM. Uh, my IG handle is RTWD Podcast, or you could send me an email at rtwdpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really, really helps folks discover the show. Till next time, y'all. Peace.